While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Good morning. How do you imagine your relationship with God? If you're a believer in God, if you trust him, if you follow him, do you imagine it as kind of distant and far away? That he's kind of always low level angry with you? That he swoops in when you're really in trouble, but apart from that, he's kind of fairly absent? Maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're not somebody who believes in God, but the question maybe for you then is like, what kind of relationship do you imagine you could have with God? Well, often it's that kind of distant relationship where he's not particularly involved with us day by day. But Jesus, at the end of the passage that we read today, in Luke chapter 8, verse 21, he says, it's possible for us to be his family. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Did you know that you can be a part of God's family? As in, you can be drawn into the, whatever it means to be a part of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. To be, to be in Jesus's closest relationships. You can be part of that, not distant, but close. Not kind of him suspicious of you, but that he loves you and wants you and wants to spend time with you. Well, how do we get into that position? Well, Jesus says it's those who hear God's word, who build their lives on the foundation of all that he says, who hear God's word and who put it into practice. That's what this whole chapter is about, isn't it? All over again, Jesus says stuff like, listen to my words, listen carefully. If you've got ears to hear, listen up. Hear the word, retain it, put it into practice. He says it over and over again. So how have you responded to Jesus' words? How have you put them into practice? If you've been with us over the last few weeks as we've looked through Luke, have his words, the story about him, had an impact on your life? I mean, we've heard so far that he's the promised rescuer who's come to turn the tables on all injustice and evil. We've heard that he's the seed of this new humanity, a new family tree has been planted and Jesus is inviting you into it. We heard that Jesus, or saw Jesus in the stories, work miracles and then speak words that turn our priorities upside down, that make us look at wealth and status and comfort differently, that make us look at our enemies and treat our enemies differently. So how have you responded to his words? Have they been like an earthquake in your life? Have they reordered your priorities so that you have been using your wealth differently? Have they made you treat your enemies differently and love them instead of hate them? Has it made you see your church family differently? That it's, you know, church is not just something that we do on a Sunday morning. It's not just something we go to, but it's a new community, a fellowship, a family that you're a part of. Has Jesus' words have they sunk into your heart so deep that life and death and everything in between has just been turned upside down for you? What's been your response to Jesus' words? That's what this story of the sower is all about. Jesus says there's one seed and four, roughly four different kinds of responses that you'll hear. He tells this parable. Parables are stories with kind of 
use, using kind of normal everyday things, but, but with a deeper meaning that kind of gets underneath your skin. Jesus tells this story about a sower, a farmer, who goes out with a bag over his shoulder of seed and he's just flinging seed all over the place. And it's the same seed, it's good stuff, but it lands on four different kinds of soils. There's four different responses to the seed that goes into our lives, to his words. You could do a little experiment this week. If you've got kids in your household, or maybe you're just a bit green-fingered, why not get a tray or a shoebox or something, fill it up with dirt, with compost, with um, stuff that things could grow in, and then try and make four different sections. So one could be full of rocks with a little scattering of soil over the top. One could be actually rocks, you know, where you've stamped it down and just put gravel there. Put another one, I don't know, get a daffodil, uh, not a daffodil, a dandelion that's just coming into seed and blow it so you get all the seeds and then st- stick them in one of the corners. And then leave the other corner nice and clean and tidy and full of good compost, keep it watered, and scatter maybe some cress seeds over the top or something, and then see what happens over the next few weeks. And you'll see that what happens is what Jesus explains here. Seeds grow and respond to different kinds of environments. So what's your heart like? That's Jesus's question. How are you responding? How's your heart responding to his words? Not just now, not just over the last few weeks, but over your life. Maybe even more important than how have you responded? How are you planning to respond to Jesus's words? Okay, let's have a look at these four soils. So soil number one is hard ground. Jesus says this is, this is the path the seeds sown along the path are the people who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they, they can't believe and be saved. This word doesn't last a moment. It's like it lands on top of their heads and just disappears, bounces off, gets eaten up and taken away. Why is that? Maybe people just think it's irrelevant. It's, it makes no sense. But actually Jesus says there's more to it than that. There's an enemy who comes along and steals it away. I mean, if you think of this seed as words, well, how would this enemy do that? How would the devil, this deceiver do that? Well, he'd come along and and give you new words or different words or twist and make you reject those words. This is like the story of Adam and Eve right back at the beginning where God speaks to his people and speaks life, good words that are gonna bring life to them. But then this snake comes into the garden and starts twisting God's words and ends up taking them away. And, and the people reject God's words. And it's not long before they're out in the cold and they're not fruitful anymore and they die. It's a story that reminds us of that kind of thing. And, and it's a scary story, isn't it? That when we, think, when we think of ourselves just here, sitting wherever you are this morning, listening to God's words read to you, listening to me try and unpack them, that there are spiritual forces in the world, in our front rooms right now, Spiritual forces working hard to keep us from hearing and listening and dwelling on God's words. So we need more than just willpower, don't we? We need more than willpower to take these words deep into our hearts. We need each other to help each other out. And we, more than anything, we need God's spirit to do battle for us so that we'd listen, so that these words would sink down deep. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would help us. Lord, we thank you again that you speak to us. Thank you that you're still sowing these words into the lives of people. Lord, we pray that you would make us good soil. We pray that you would would defeat all of the efforts of the enemy, of the devil, to take these words away and keep us from dwelling on them. Lord, we pray instead that you'd make us good soil, open our hearts and our minds, that we would welcome your words 
and dwell on them and live by them. Amen. Okay, second soil. The second soil, it does a little bit better, but still it's, it's tragic. The second soil is, is a thin layer of soil over rocks underneath. So it's good to begin with. It's nice and warm. So the plant sprouts up, but then the sun comes out and it gets dried up. And Jesus says, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. They grow quickly, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. When things get difficult, when other options come along, the plant disappears. It's not got a very deep root. I mean, it doesn't have to be really, you know, temptations to do really bad stuff that might take us away. It, the tests don't have to be really hard things necessarily, but just kind of stuff that, that keeps us from coming back to Jesus. Maybe you could think about, about it like when you're flicking through TV channels and you catch the snooker and see a couple of good shots, or you catch a cooking program and kind of find an interesting recipe, but you switch on, uh, just kind of switch over to another channel. And then 10 minutes later, somebody asks you who was playing or somebody asks you what recipe you, you watched and you have no idea, you just can't remember because it was kind of interesting in the moment, but then you moved on. And there was a student with us up in Bangor before we moved down to Ammonford. I worked with students up there. I remember him sitting in, um, in a talk that I was giving about suffering and he was listening really well. In fact, he was listening with tears in his eyes. By the end of the talk, he was weeping because of what I was saying about the hope that we have in Jesus in the face of even the, the deepest suffering, hope of resurrection in Jesus, of everything sad coming untrue. I met up with him for coffee after that for a, a couple of times. And then all of a sudden, after such a promising start, he just disappeared, stopped replying to my messages. I bumped into him a couple of times and it was just, our relationship just went cold. It was like he wasn't interested anymore. I, d I don't know what happened. I don't know what it was. But it was like this, he was, he was kind of exploding with enthusiasm to begin with. And then all of a sudden it went quiet and cold. Let's pray that God would keep us from, from that, from being really enthusiastic for a few seconds, for a few minutes, for a few hours, a few years, and then just disappearing altogether. What about the third soil? Well, this is the kind of person who says, look, I've got a lot on my plate at the moment. You know, give me a moment, I'll get myself sorted, and then I'll get serious about Jesus. Jesus says that kind of attitude comes from people who are really in trouble with weeds in their soil. The seed that fell among thorns, this is verse 14, stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they don't mature. These weeds come into their lives and they choke out, push out all of the air and light and nutrients that the plant needs. And so there's no flowers, there's no fruit. What do you need? In that kind of situation, well, you need to pull those weeds out. And how do you pull those weeds out? Well, you need to know what they are to begin with. And Jesus tells us what they are. He kind of puts them in two categories. There are weeds in our lives that, that come from worries and weeds that come from wealth. See, this is the kind of person who actually does have spiritual life going on. They're not just kind of flash in the pan interested. They really do want to grow. But then there's all sorts of other things that just distract and take us away from getting really deep into Jesus. Worries. Worries are the first kind of weeds. These are, I don't know, the anxieties and worries of life. About money, where we, we're worried if we have enough money. We're worried about our pensions. We're worried about the kind of car that we drive, needing a bigger car. Worry, worrying about going overdrawn, about debts piling up, about credit card bills unopened. Maybe it's family worries, you know, treading on eggshells. With, with somebody in your family, struggling with the neighbours. Maybe you're in school and 
just find it really difficult to have good friends who you can trust. People have fallen out with you, you've fallen out with them, you keep comparing yourselves to others. It's just difficult, isn't it? Life can be hard and full of worries. Maybe with our health, you've got aching teeth and you just can't get an appointment. You know you need a procedure done, but the waiting list is just so long. Maybe you're worried about the vaccine, worried whether you should have it, um, worried what happened if you do get it. Worries can choke us like weeds. They pull us away, pull our focus away from Jesus, away from him as we just try and get ourselves sorted and say, give me a moment and then I'll come to Jesus. We need to be careful and deal with those weeds and pull them up with Jesus' help, not let them kind of pull us away from him. But there's other kinds of weeds as well, maybe more unexpected kinds. And these are riches and pleasures. Jesus says wealth. This is the kind of thing I think where we, we end up feeling no dependence. We don't feel like we need God anymore. We're kind of self-sufficient. We've got all that we need. We can solve our own problems. We can get everything we want. If I can't solve my own problems with my own cash, well, I'm sure I know somebody who, you know, I can pull some strings. They can come and help me out. We end up feeling pretty satisfied. I mean, thinking like, what could Jesus give to me that I don't already have? We might end up thinking that, that everything else seems so much more real that there's stuff out in the world which is just much more pleasurable and much more, um, I don't know, important and, and, yeah, and real. And so we end up not really thinking that Jesus is particularly relevant or important or giving him much time. And so you see we're getting choked up again. Our focus is taken away from Jesus. We're running out of oxygen. All we can think about is our worries. I can't breathe. I can't see for the, the difficult things or for the good things in my life. Could think about what we ask for prayer for. This might be a helpful way of working out what what weeds um, are at risk of choking your spiritual life. When we ask people to pray for us, we often talk about worries, don't we? And we say, oh, would you ask that God would help with such and such a difficulty in my life? Have you ever heard anybody, when you ask them what you can pray for them, have you ever heard anybody say, I'm kind of worried, I'm getting kind of concerned because I got a pay rise last month. Could you pray for me because I got a promotion recently? I've just come into some inheritance. We've just booked a holiday. I can't wait. But would you pray for me? Because, because those things are dangerous. Have you ever heard anybody say anything like that? Ask you to pray for them to say, to say something like, would you pray for me that I would remember what's really valuable, that my treasure would be in heaven and not in my bank account? Would you pray for me that I would know my identity is in being a child of God and not in other people thinking highly of me? And, and, you know, because I got that promotion. Would you pray that I would know my true rest and peace is with Jesus and not in holidays and weekends and the kind of things that we usually look forward to? You ever heard anybody ask for prayer requests like that? Thinking of wealth and pleasure as a dangerous thing? Well, Jesus says they are, that they're like weeds that can choke us. They're the kind of things that say, just give me a minute. Just give me a moment. Let me do this first. Let me experience that first. Let me tie up the loose ends of this problem first, and then I'll come and get serious about Jesus. But a moment becomes a month. A month becomes a year. A year becomes a decade, and then our lifetime slip by, and we haven't really taken him seriously. We don't really have any fruit to show. No growth or maturity. All of life has just been choked out by good stuff or hard stuff. So what do we do? What do we do if we realise that, that that is me? I mean, that is me. And I imagine it's you as well, that, that you want to be serious about Jesus. You want to grow spiritually, but it, there's just so much stuff that comes and chokes 
life, spiritual life. Well, what do we do? We need to go and knock on the farmer's door. That's what we need. We need to knock on the farmer's door and ask him for help. Philippians 4 verse 6 is a letter. Um, Philippians, that's later on in the New Testament. And um, one of the last verses in the letter goes like this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, Christians will always, in fact, if you're human, you'll always struggle with worries. And you'll have times when things are good as well, when there are pleasures and riches. So we're not supposed to just try and get rid of them or not deal with our worries or something like that. What we're supposed to do is deal with them with Jesus, is knock on the farmer's door and ask him to help us, is to let those worries and those wealth lead us to Jesus, to, to, to go and ask him for help to go and give thanks to him, to bring him into every little moment of our lives and say, Lord Jesus, would you help me rip out these weeds? I don't want them taking my focus. I don't want them stealing my oxygen. I don't want them taking my focus so that I can't see anything. I want to grow. Would you rip out those weeds and help me to grow deeper into you? And as we do that, well, weeds do come back. Worries keep coming back. Riches and pleasures keep knocking on our doors. But the more that we take those weeds away, even if they do come back, they come back weaker and we grow stronger as we, as we do some weeding with the great farmer, with the Lord Jesus. So next time you see an overgrown garden, maybe it's your own garden, next time you see a heap of brambles, next time you're weeding your own garden or flower pots, take that as an opportunity to pray. Lord, would you help me? Would you help me to see what weeds I'm struggling with? What's choking me? And would you help me weed? my heart, that I'd be good soil. So, good soil. What is good soil like? Jesus says, the good soil stands for those with noble and good hearts, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This is somebody who's more than just a little bit intrigued. Somebody who's more than a distracted believer. This is somebody who's committed, who is all in with Jesus. Of course, this is the kind of person who slips up, who gets distracted. You know, weeds will come and land in the good soil as well, but but when that happens, when we slip up, when we get distracted, that hurts us and it makes us, it drives us deeper into Jesus. It makes us say, I want to grow. I want to be somebody who's good soil. Please come and take out these rocks. Please come and weed my garden so that I would grow with you. What does that kind of soil produce? This kind of soil of a heart that's dependent, that's humble, that's kind of trusting Jesus, that wants his, his words to come deep into our hearts? Well, it it explodes with joyful thanks. Do you remember the woman in the story last week? If you were here, you can flick back a chapter if you, if you weren't around and read the story of a woman who bursts into a dinner party with Jesus, embarrasses everybody except Jesus, and she falls down at his knees and wets his feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair because she's so thankful. She explodes in gratitude because of all that Jesus has done. His words of forgiveness have, have exploded into her life and changed her. That's what, that's what this is talking about. Her life is bearing fruit. And as if we think it's maybe, in case we think it's just all about emotions and kind of big shows of gratitude, go back to the beginning of chapter eight. We haven't talked about this yet. You see these stories of lots of different women, Mary called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Shusa, and many others who, who had a lot to thank Jesus for. He'd done wonderful things for them. They had taken his word, his life, into their hearts and they were pouring out goodness. 
They were mirroring his goodness, not paying him back as if they kind of had some kind of debt. They were mirroring his goodness by, by giving up their time, their lives, their, um, their wealth, all sorts of stuff they gave to sacrificially look after Jesus and, and see that his words kept on going, seeing that he was supported so that he could take his good news even further. Those were people who were bearing fruit. They mirrored Jesus, that sacrificial giving. They weren't, um, they were paying him back. They were mirroring his goodness poured into their hearts. It was pouring out to others. You see, they were bearing fruit with the seed that he planted in their hearts. This also looks like light. That's the next little story that we read, isn't it? No one lights a lamp and hides it. No, if you've got Jesus' truth and life, his words in your light, it'll burst out. So don't keep it from others. It's a very strange thing, isn't it? If you know the truth, if you know Jesus, to not speak about it with others, to not speak about it with your kids, with your grandchildren, with your family and friends. I know that can be awkward and, and maybe weird sometimes, but we, we should be doing that. And we'll, Jesus says, inescapably be doing that. Light has to be lifted up. Light will come out in the end. You need to be somebody who, as Jesus' light has shone into your life and shown you the different weeds and the different um, ways that we haven't responded well, we need to be people who come to Jesus and say, I want more of your light. And as we do that, we'll be spilling that light out to the world. We'll be sowing seeds in the lives of other people. So this good soil looks like fruit, kind of multiplied. It looks like light pouring out to the world. And it looks like where we started, being part of Jesus's family, drawing close to him. Having his words deep in my heart means he's deep in my heart, which means I'm close to him and I'm walking with him day by day. So how can we be that kind of soil? Well, we've got to come to the farmer, like I said. We've got to come to the farmer and ask him to help us, not just have the words, but to understand those words. That's what the disciples do, isn't it? They come and they say, Jesus, we don't understand what you said. Could you explain it to us? That's in verse nine. His disciples ask what the parable meant. And so he unpacks it to them and unpacks why he uses parables. And this is a bit of a strange thing. I just want to deal with it for, uh, for one minute. Jesus says he uses parables so that some people would hear and see and other people wouldn't. The knowledge of the kingdom of God is like a secret. It's an open secret, so some people know about it, but other people miss out on it altogether. Um, why does he say that? How does that work? Well, you could think about it a little bit like um, sliding doors, kind of automatic doors. That Jesus' parables, they seem kind of obvious to begin with, but they kind of hide spiritual truths like automatic doors do. And, and so you could just walk past doors and say, oh, look, those doors are shut. There's nothing in there. It must be locked. You know, there's nothing useful behind there. And you walk on, you're not interested. Or you might walk to those automatic doors and be curious about them and walk closer and wonder kind of what's behind those doors. And so as you get closer, you find that they open and you walk in and there's a whole other world. That's what Jesus' parables are like for, for the heart. They show up what our hearts are like in relation to him. They show us whether we, we are humble and have kind of spiritual curiosity, spiritual life in us. People like that, they come closer to Jesus and they ask him and those doors open and they, they find the secrets of the kingdom of God are an open secret. He's willing to give them to anybody who comes and asks and knocks and seeks. And other people will just say, no, there's nothing in there. It's just darkness, not interested. It's all nonsense. It's just religious mumbo jumbo. Forget about it and walk on. That's what Jesus' parables do. What are they doing for you at the moment? Is this kind of putting you off him completely? 
or are they drawing you in a little bit closer? So Jesus' disciples go with spiritual curiosity. They say, I, I, wonder, I wonder what's in there. They come up to those doors, they ask, seek and knock, and Jesus opens the parable and opens spiritual life to them. So that's what we should do. Maybe this can be our prayer today, that we say, Lord, I, I don't know much about Christianity. It, a lot of it doesn't make much sense to me, but I think it's true. I think it's good. Maybe this would be your prayer today. I think it's true. I think it's good. But every time I try to put it into words, I just get tongue tied. Every time I try and explain it to somebody else or ask a question, it just doesn't seem to come out right. So would you please help me? I want to understand. I think it's true. I know it's good. Would you help me to understand more and more? And as we do that, as we make that our prayer, Jesus does in us what he does to the disciples. He plows up their hearts. You see, he unpacks this parable for them. And Matthew, rich tax collector Matthew, he's warned about riches being weeds. And then James and John, two of Jesus' other disciples, who were small business owners, fishermen, maybe people full of worries about what the future would hold. Well, he says, watch out for worries. Those can be weeds as well. And then politically active Simon the Zealot, who's worried about the trials and hardships that are coming with all the political leaders he knows a lot about. He knows how difficult life is going to be for people who stand against Rome and, and the rulers. And Jesus says, don't worry, don't let trials take you away from me. You see, he's ploughing up the lives of the believers, of these disciples, as he explains life to them. So, as we come to him and ask him to help us, as we knock on the farmer's door, we should expect him to plough up our lives, to make us good soil, to take out rocks, to take out weeds, and help us to be like him. Because did you see? Jesus is the only one who's ever been good soil. Jesus is the only one who ever had a purely noble and good heart. He's the only one who's ever fully, perfectly heard, listened to God's words, to his Father's words, put them into practice, retained it, and produced a crop. Do you know what those words led Jesus to do? They led him to go to the cross, to die for us, to die for people like us who are rocky, weedy, terrible soil so that he would die for us, so that God wouldn't abandon the farm that is us, our hearts, but that he would make us his own, his own inheritance, and dig us up and make us good soil. Jesus went to the cross to die for us, so he could bring light into our lives and show up the dirt, but clean it all away. Jesus came to die for us, so that we could be brought into spiritual life in God's family. That's who you come to today. When you go and knock on the farmer's door, you come to Jesus. Jesus, the good soil. Jesus, whose seed comes into our own hearts, who makes us good soil so that we can hear it, retain it, and produce a crop with it. So what kind of relationship do you want to have with God? Do you want to be far away from him? Not really listening to him? You know, only coming to him when you need him to swoop in on certain situations? Or do you want to be somebody who's close to him, who's in his family, who's deeply knitted into his life? Well, if that's you, then let's pray. Let's pray um, that, that God would keep you on that path, that God would plant his word deep into your hearts and keep you growing like him day after day. Amen.